Chapter Five of the King's Daughter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The King's Daughter by Pansy. Chapter Five: The Temperance Meeting. Who hath despised the day of small things? All the while Dell was dressing for the temperance meeting, there was in her heart a sense of pleasure at the thought of meeting friends and co-workers. She had been used to many friends and much work, hearty, earnest, enthusiastic work. She was used to accompanying her Uncle Edward to the great hall in Boston, and mingling there with a throng of interested workers. She liked the whole of it, the music, the brilliant lights, the enthusiastic people, the eloquent speakers. She had missed it all. She was glad to enter into it again with all her heart. She thought about it as she went briskly down the straggling street of the village toward the church. Thought about it until her hand was on the doorknob and she pushed open the door. Then what a sudden coming down from the clouds it was! Instead of the great hall, brilliant with light and glowing with flowers, and alive with well-dressed throngs of expectant people who poured in unceasingly amid the subdued tremble of wonderful music, there was that dingy, dusty, dismal church, smelling as if the united breaths of the worshippers of a hundred years back were entombed there, and lighted by those sputtering, sissing, smoking kerosene lamps, and the audience was composed of five boys, two of whom were playing football with their caps, a young man who was preparing with the aid of his jackknife and a bit of chip to trim the aforesaid lamps, two girls who whispered and giggled in one of the dark corners, and the dainty little bundle of pique, Dell's morning acquaintance. Now, that young lady was of course aware that the village, in which she was present living, was very different in many respects from Boston. She knew it boasted of no public hall, and certainly the tumble-down old church building was far enough from deceiving her as to its condition. But then she had lived all of her grown-up life in Boston, and public meetings of any sort had to do, in her mind, with gas-illuminated buildings and swelling organs and throngs of people. She found she had been considering them as necessities. She stood still by the door, trying to take in the situation. What a great bewildering disappointment it was! Where was the meeting? Where were the people to make it of? At last she did what Dell was very apt to do in trying occasions. She laughed, not very loud, but merrily. The extreme ludicrousness of the whole thing, and the absurdity of her own expectations had just crept over her. Her laugh ended, she cast about her as to ways and means. She brought the game of hatball to a sudden termination by an abrupt question addressed to the larger of the two boys. Is your name Johnny? No, ma'am, he said, wondering but respectful. It's Tommy, though. Oh, is it? Well, Tommy, though, what do you suppose is the reason that you and I don't let down some of these windows? How long do you suppose it will be before we will bake if we stay in this oven? I don't know, he answered laughing, but my name is Tommy Truman. Is it indeed? What a splendid name! Are you Tommy True Boy as well as man? I don't know, he said again, this time with a little touch of admiring thoughtfulness in his voice. You must be that if you mean to be the other. Really and truly you know, as well as in name. But about the windows, aren't we equal to them? Is your name Tommy too? this to the younger boy, who turned toward her with a roguish but not ungraceful bow, and answered, I'm Bob Mason, at your service, ma'am. Thank you. Then you want to know how you can serve me, of course. If you will go to the other side of the church and open every window, I shall consider myself delightfully served. He started at once, but suddenly turned back with a puzzled air. 
How shall I keep them up? There's no fastenings or anything. Ah, that's the question. I don't know. It shall be a part of your service to find out. The boy laughed, but went at once to work, and Tommy Truman was dispatched to the row of windows on the opposite side. Meantime the lamps, after infinite pains, and some burning of fingers, were trimmed and sputtered less, but looked dim and threatening. The young man turned toward Dell. Good evening. I shall have to introduce myself. My name is Nelson. I am bookkeeper at the factory. And this is Miss... Bronson from the hotel, Dell explained, as he hesitated inquiringly. I beg pardon, he said, with a little flush on his face. You are not connected with Mr. Bronson who keeps the hotel? I am his daughter, Dell answered quietly. Then her eyes gleaming with mischief, where's the temperance meeting, Mr. Nelson? Don't you see it? Mr. Nelson answered, indicating with eyes and gesture the five boys and the two giggling girls, and answering the roguish look in her eyes with a frank laugh. Don't you know about this enterprise, Miss Bronson? Not in the least, except that a little midget invited me to attend a temperance meeting tonight, and I have come to attend it. And you don't find it, laughed Mr. Nelson. Well, it's in process of manufacture. Let me tell you about it. But first let me ask you, are you in sympathy with it? I don't know, said Dell gravely. I haven't seen it yet. He laughed again. Well, if you reside here, Miss Bronson, you know how completely this village is given over to rum. I have never seen anything like it in a place of its size. I have not been here long, but long enough to get the heartache over some of these scenes I have witnessed. I have a class in the Sunday school, and some little influence over the boys who compose it. I determined to make an effort in the way of a temperance society. I drew up a pledge and got my boys to sign it, and two or three of their sisters signed. Then I prepared a pledge for each one, and sent them out after recruits, telling them to invite every one they saw to sign the pledge and attend the temperance meeting this evening. I have some hope of seeing enough present to form a society, and while we all work for temperance, at the same time try to interest the people in a literary effort of some sort. And this is the result, said Dell, looking around on the eight small people waiting to see what was going to be done with them, and while they waited, whispered together, and giggled simultaneously every few minutes. This is the result, Mr. Nelson repeated, with becoming gravity, folding his arms and taking a thoughtful survey of his audience and the room in general. Then the two pairs of eyes met and looked at each other for a moment. Then the owners of them laughed. Small potatoes and a few in a hill, quoted Mr. Nelson feelingly. Tall oaks from little acorns grow, responded Dell, ignoring the potatoes. Mr. Nelson, where is your pastor? Mr. Nelson's mustache and the lip under it curled very slightly as he answered. I have his sympathies and he hopes I will succeed and be able to do a good work and he is at Deacon Elliot's playing croquet with Miss Emmeline. Oh, he is. What is the reason of all that? I mean, going below surface reasons, why isn't he here? Because, in the first place, Deacon Elliot doesn't approve of temperance societies, thinks pledges an infringement of personal liberty, etc., etc., and Esquire Burton believes in using the good things of this life as not abusing them, and one of the good things is whiskey and Mr. Traverse is an unqualified supporter of the anti-temperance cause, and these three are the prominent men of the church and the village. And lastly, our pastor himself thinks good cider is an excellent thing. Have I given you reasons enough? 
plenty, and introduced your pastor to me besides. I don't want to slander him, Mr. Nelson said earnestly. He is a good man. I sincerely believe him to be one, only he thinks on this subject as too many good people do. Dell's spirits, that had gone down to zero on her entrance into the dreary room, began to rise as difficulties thickened around her. Well, she said in a brisk, bright tone, looking with clear, determined eyes into Mr. Nelson's face, let us have a temperance society, Mr. Nelson, and succeed. Will you let me be your coadjutor? I shall be most thankful for any assistance in any form. Under the present highly encouraging circumstances, what would you advise? What was your idea, a literary society? Something of that sort, the two combined, you know. Well, spoken with that inimitable little dash of energy that gave you courage and made you hopeful of results, let us have a literary society by all means. Of what? said Mr. Nelson, with a comical sigh. Of the material at hand, to be sure. Little Curly, come here, dear. Thus summoned, the little buff peak morsel came daintily forward, from her shy corner by the door, coaxed on by bright smile and winning gesture from Dell. This is the little lady whose pledge I had the honor of signing this morning, she said, as she stooped and placed a protecting arm around the little one. Now, my darling, don't you know a nice little verse to say to me, one that you say for Papa sometimes, you know? I know Jesus loves me, the little girl said, with a shy, hesitating voice. The very thing. Will you say it for me, darling? And the old church was very still. Neither whispering nor giggling went on, while the sweet child voice was repeating that gem of child poetry, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It is very sweet, Dell said, and her ear had caught that peculiar clear round sound, which shows one skilled in such matters, that she had found that unusual thing among children, or indeed among those who have long ceased to be children, one who can recite poetry well and naturally. It is very sweet indeed, and you did it just as I thought you would. How old are you, little one? I'm almost seven. So I thought. Now you will ask Mama to let you come and see me tomorrow? Mama is in heaven, the child said, simply and gravely. Oh, is she? And Dell's clasp of the little one tightened. Do you know my Mama is in heaven too? Perhaps they love each other, your Mama and mine. Well, is your Papa here? Can you ask him? Yes. She explained Papa was almost always in the study, but he let her come in sometimes when it was very necessary, and she could ask him. Well, ask him to let you come at four o'clock and stay an hour. I have something very beautiful to teach you. And with a kiss and a smile she was dismissed, while Dell turned triumphantly to Mr. Nelson. I have an exquisite piece of poetry to teach her, and she will recite it beautifully. I knew she would from her eyes. So much is arranged for. What next? asked that gentleman in an amused tone. He seemed suddenly to have slipped into a subordinate position, and left this bright young lady at the head. Oh, a declamation we must have next. Mr. Nelson, that lamp nearest you smokes horribly. I don't think you trimmed it very well. I don't think you know quite as much about lamp trimming anyway as you might. Why, where is our Tommy Trueboy? He can speak a piece for us, I think. She turned to look for him, praised the ingenious arrangements by which he had contrived to make all the windows stay up, contrived by skillful questioning to learn the extent of his oratorical powers, and finally came gleefully back to Mr. Nelson to announce the whole matter successfully arranged. 
Meantime, his season of utter discouragement having passed, he began to enter with energy and amusement into the preparations, and brought forward the giggling girls to present to Dell. They proved to be young misses of fourteen, who were thoroughly imbued with the spirit of temperance, and quite capable of doing something besides whispering and laughing, if only there could be found people wise enough to set them to work. The election of president, secretary, and the like, was by unanimous consent postponed until the next meeting, which was appointed for a week from that evening. "'But what shall we do for an audience?' Mr. Nelson questioned at last in dismay. "'We are all performers. Where are the listeners?' "'Oh, we'll have listeners,' Dell said, with an emphasis that seemed to decide the matter. "'In the first place, here are one, two, three, here are ten of us. How many will promise to bring one friend with them next Friday evening, as many more as they can, but one certainly, if it is possible?' Up went her own hand in token of promise. Mr. Nelson promptly took the hint, and raised his, and all the others followed their example. "'Then there will be twenty at least. Oh, we'll do very nicely. Ten is not such a poor audience, Mr. Nelson. I'm not sure but this is the nicest temperance meeting I ever attended,' she added, with a bright laugh. "'It's the funniest, anyway. See here, Tommy Truman, are you going to be a gentleman and see me home?' and as Mr. Nelson stood in the doorway of the old church and watched the boy walk proudly down the moonlighted street, with the bright lady leaning on his arm, he felt that he would have been perfectly willing to have done that gentlemanly deed himself. End of chapter 5 Recording by Tricia G.